power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. So what is surveillance capitalism? So it has long been understood that capitalism evolves by taking things that live outside the marketplace and bringing them into the market so that they can be sold and bought. For example, the idea of um, nature. With industrial capitalism, nature was dragged into the marketplace and reborn as real estate land that could be bought and sold. Historians have written about the way in which human activity itself, the kinds of things that people did in their homes, in their cottages, in their back gardens, those activities were brought into the marketplace and reborn as labor. Labor that could be assigned an hourly wage, bought and sold in the marketplace. In an interesting way, surveillance capitalism follows in this tradition. And I say interesting because there are other ways in which surveillance capitalism sharply diverges from um, the norms and principles of capitalism over the centuries. But in this respect, it mirrors this history in that surveillance capitalism has claimed something from outside the market and brought it into the market to sell and buy. But in this case, the territory that it has claimed is private human experience. Private human experience has been claimed for the marketplace to be sold and purchased as behavioral data. And more specifically, the way this works is that our experience is claimed unilaterally for the taking our experience is rendered as behavioral data by the takers. Those behavioral data are then combined with very sophisticated machine intelligence capabilities. The outcome of the computation and behavioral data, the outcome is what I call a prediction product. These are computational predictions of what we will do now, soon, and later. Those predictions are then sold into a new kind of marketplace. What is this marketplace trading in? It's trading in bets on our future behavior. I call it a behavioral futures marketplace. So these prediction products are like futures derivatives, but in this case, they're derivatives of our behavior. So the bottom line, friends, is that our futures are being sold and bought in a new kind of behavioral marketplace. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintained peace throughout the universe. 
until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. Woo! In the immortal words of Montel Jordan, baby, this is how we do it. Sovereign Tech does it like nobody else does. Okay, maybe he didn't say that last part, but he didn't say the first part. Classic from 1995. Remember that song? Of course you did. Anyway, <laughs> please, please, someone else remember this shit, okay? That way I'm not alone. But no, I'm not really alone, and neither are you, because you are being joined by the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, Dr. Brian, smarter than your ass, sovereign. Woo, count them all down. How many more names can we, how many more names we got out there? Prince of Darkness. Was that the one we talked about a couple weeks ago? Yeah, Prince of Darkness. Put that one down. Good. All right. Anyway. <laughs> We are here to get into all the wonderful stories that you know have happened in in the tech world because, you know, Silicon Valley is here to make your life better. Are you kidding me? No, they're here to make your life a living fucking hell. And that's not the good hell where my dad's from. No, it's the bad hell. No capital H. Fuck. Anyway, (laughs) not say all companies out there are evil. But, you know, I want to open it up. Okay, wait, yes, just about everyone in Silicon Valley is. But there's plenty of companies outside of that. Maybe you're trying to do some good in the world here and there. Though one company that sometimes, man, I wonder what the fuck they're doing. (laughs) Actually, I wonder that a lot. That would be none other than Signal, uh, the darling of many the security-centric podcast and security-centric, well, shall we say, media outlet, uh, and even the, you know, more privacy and security-centric individuals. And I get it, you know, I still use it often enough. Um, And there's many ways. I know we've been talking about messengers a lot lately, but, you know, it's good to get in that end of the year refresh on all of them. How how are all these guys doing? Should I still be using them or should I be using Carrier Pigeon? Actually, we talked about that. You should be using Carrier Pigeon. Far superior as far as privacy to just about anything else out there, Uh, especially if you can end up, you know, writing shit in Zonoid, then then you're, you're fine. Regardless, uh, signal. So, you know, there are times, I mean, cause man, like telegram does interesting things as I believe we talked about in episode 498. Holy shit. Is it episode 499 of sovereign tech? And that means next week is episode 500. That's insane. Well, that's what it is moving right along. Uh, you know, we talked about telegram a bit and their addition of the topics feature, uh, signal actually also came out with a new feature in the past couple weeks. Of course it was in beta for some months before then that being they're like, and, and look, I don't know. I'm not on these platforms, so I don't really know what they look like. I only know, you know, when like a news story will cross my bow and it'll say, oh, this TikTok esque feature or this Instagram like feature. I mean, I, I, again, I don't know what these are like on those, you know, on, on those apps. And frankly, even if I were interested in those apps, I'd be using web versions of it. And so a lot of the, the hot and in the minute features, I don't know what, what do kids say today? Nothing, but <laughs> that's the problem, I guess. Uh, but you know, whatever those are, I wouldn't see them anyway. 
So, but I don't fucking bother. And, but if you must, please use the web versions of these things. That includes Twitter. Go down the goddamn list of all of them uh, because they're all just there to harvest your data. So, Signal added in a feature where, and, and I have not messed with this. I haven't used it. There's an abstract point that I have, though. Signal has added in a feature, which to my mind, I mean, what limited, okay, my knowledge around social media is not that limited. I'm actually, believe it or not, because with some of my clients, I do work. Uh, I mean, I do all kinds of work, but part of that work includes social media. And believe it or not, I, I actually do a pretty, you know, if I, if I don't say so myself, I do a pretty amazing job with what I'm given as far as uh, that, that social media. So it's not like I'm somebody that doesn't understand the game. Oh, I get it. Regardless, <laughs> that's all the more reason when I say, look, social media is a disease. Perhaps you should listen, but we move on. So I, I would argue this feature is more like Snapchat where like at the top of signal, it will let you make like a, a story. And is that what they call them on Instagram? I don't know, but you know, it lets you make little stories, little videos that will, that are ephemeral that will exist for like 24 hours and then they're gone. And you can be very specific in who you share them with. Of course, in a lot of ways, you know, signal does privacy right in that respect. There's one way that I think they really, really fail, but we're going to talk about how they might be addressing that. Um, it might be their biggest privacy flub that they've, that I've defended in a way but also I've understood for many years now. So um, the feature, you know, again, of whatever they want to call it stories, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And it feels like signal is trying to become more of a social media platform. Uh, certainly that's what telegram is trying to do, but honestly, like often enough, I want to use signal more because it's not as busy as what telegram's trying to do. I love Look, that does just because I don't like it doesn't mean that, you know, what Telegram's doing doesn't mean that it isn't useful for others and that you find value in it if you do fucking great. Okay, go ahead and use it. But when the concept is I want a secure messaging app, I really want that to be dead ass simple. Um, and Signal adding in a lot of this, shall we call it flair, not in the Reddit sense, but, you know, flair. Uh, I, I really think that that, that works against you know, like it, it's purposes. Um, but whatever, I guess people want to flash that kind of shit, like these little videos as if somehow, you know, what, whatever's going on for you within 24 hours is, is going to, you know, change people's lives or something. I, I, I don't know what, whatever reasons are that you think you need to show that off, you, you know, you're doing it, you know what you're doing. Okay. So anyway, I, again, I, I think that's cross purposes. I don't think that that, that really, you know, there's let other apps do that shit. Signal does not need to be a full on social media platform. Um, you can turn it off, which, you know, credit. And in fact, I think you have to turn it on actively for it to work. But again, I, I really, I, I think that's just not the direction that, you know, we don't need secure comms going in the direction of social media, quite the opposite. They need to get away from social media and get people used to talking on at a smaller scale, but whatever, I guess there's still Threema though. Who knows if this gets popular enough, maybe Threema will end up having to do that or feel like they have to do that as well. And, and you know, that's the part that bothers me too, is that when you add in a weird feature like this, it really feels like you're trying to court investors and nothing, 
few things concern me more than uh, a, especially a privacy and security centric platform courting investors, because ultimately investors want to know how do I get the, you know, what's my ROI if I do invest. And that generally comes down to some kind of uh, collection of data or ads or something along those lines, all things that again, we don't want in secure comms. So do we use other apps? Yep. But I mean, you know, is signal still a thing and you can tailor it down to where, you know, all these insane features don't show up. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, I even like, I don't even like chat backgrounds. You understand? Like, I know that's a feature now in signal. Uh, I'll never turn that on again. I want it to be dead, simple, no distractions to the fucking point. That's the whole argument about security, you know, secure comms, right? Anyway, uh, the biggest privacy flub that signal has had for these many years since, you know, even since the days of tech secure, though with tech secure, of course, it made sense why you would use phone numbers, but that is it. Phone numbers, the showing of phone numbers. In fact, when you install uh, signal, it automatically alerts your contacts list or anyone else that is on signal. Uh, this is now while in one sense, see, here's the flub. Okay. I defend the fact that they use phone numbers as immediate verification between two, two endpoints. Like I, I get that. Okay. No. And, and I've defended signals, you know, uh, the, the way that that's operated for a very long time. Okay. I mean, ultimately all of these apps do that. Just some will let you, well, there'll be a little more, uh, um, during the setup process, they might give you a few more options on, well, do you want us to collect your contacts instead of just asking for permission and then just boom, you know, and sending it, sending it out everywhere. And that's kind of what you have to do with some apps is not give it the permission to access your contacts, even though it makes perfect sense why you'd want to give it access to your contacts. The part that doesn't make sense is why do you want to fucking announce it to everybody, you know, that it, that it's out there. Um, so anyway, but using phone numbers as verification makes perfect sense. I mean, it's not the best, you know, I, I like, I, I'd hope we could come up with better, but I get it. Okay. So this has been, you know, something that have let some, something that people have levied against signal for many years that, you know, like, oh, it's sharing phone numbers and it's announcing to everybody. And I totally get the announcing thing. That is such a problem. Why? Because, you know, especially if like, if you're a, shall we say, you know, somewhat of a celebrity or something like that, or somebody who's either at risk or, you know, whatever. And basically you don't want people, I mean, you're using signal to get your privacy, right? Privacy and security. Why would you, you know, want to blast out, you know, the fact that you're on signal if you're going for privacy. I mean, that's really at odds. Um, now, while I'm not sure that signals doing anything necessarily about that, and they've been open about that when they ask about that, you know, Moxie Marlin Spike, the ex-CEO, you know, he had, he had stated that, well, we want you to be social. I, I don't know why they, they feel that. I, I mean, it, maybe it was just a play to get the dum-dums on, you know, or to get grandma and grandpa on or something and make it easy for them to, to find people. I, th that, that would be the most benign reason that they continue to do that. But 
Anyway, it is still something that fully operates on sharing phone numbers. Of course, like with Telegram, Telegram has kind of figured it out to where, okay, yes, we're going to use the phone number for initial verification between our servers. But then anytime you add anyone, and they also give you the option to, you know, like not go for contacts and yet still able to go forward, you know, with the, with the app installation, uh, Telegram will say, well, no, you can share your Telegram username uh, with someone, but you don't have to share your phone number once you're on Telegram. Now that's a better way of doing things. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for years, can we get away from the telephone bullshit on signal? And can we just use usernames? Uh, and it's a valid thing to bring up. I finally caught from actually from this year in 2022, earlier in this year, I found a conversation with a particular signal dev uh, and I mean, it's open, um, Evan Hahn is his name, or at least that's his name on Reddit, but I found a conversation on Reddit where, uh, Evan Hahn's a signal developer. And he specifically says if, uh, you know, someone had asked about, uh, you know, couldn't will signal ever. Here's the question. Will signal ever implement usernames instead of phone numbers, at least away. So I don't give away my phone number to random people. Um, and you know, he has a bit of a thread there, but then Evan Hahn steps in as a signal developer and says, signal developer here, it's a big, and he put that in italics. It's a big undertaking for us, but we're working really hard on it. I promise. Um, and you know, like obviously once a signal developer shows up, then a bunch of people have other questions, but at least this is the first time I've ever seen where someone at signal openly admitted that they are working on it. Now, what makes usernames so hard? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. Like the verification system honestly could also be done with, you know, with email, but then with email, anybody can create an email. And then, you know, like here, here's the, here's the dark side. I think of maybe why phone numbers aren't used. And here's one of the issues, not really privacy or security issue other, unless you consider a lack of uptime, a security issue, which I understand, uh, you know, I would share some sentiment on that. But one of the reasons that I think signal may require a phone number is it is also an anti spam slash anti bot measure, right? Because I mean, and this is exactly what every other social media platform does. You know, part of the reason that they like Twitter wants a phone number after a few days, even if you were successfully able to create the account initially without one, um, is it's a security check. They're trying to minimize or theoretically they're trying to minimize, you know, uh, bot traffic, you know, in the creation of bots and the creation of, uh, you know, AstroTurf accounts and so on. Um, so I could believe that signal who we have the track record. This is not speculation. This is a fact that if they, you know, at points where be it with some bullshit happening with WhatsApp or whatever, if at points there is a sharp influx of new users of new accounts, it will bring the signal network down. And, you know, if you suddenly just switched away from phone numbers to emails, I mean, yeah, you could get insane bot traffic. Uh, you know, that, that would occur, even though it's not exactly, I don't think it would operate in the same way, say it does on telegram, um, or, you know, or, or some other, some other platforms still, 
I'm, I'm a little concerned that that's the actual reason that they're doing this because I'm asking myself the question as a coder as well. What the fuck is so hard about implementing usernames? What, what is so hard about create having some other form of verification than the phone number? I get it. It's easy to do the phone number, but I don't get it. And if anything, I mean, one of the best things that you can do and what I think they really should do, uh, and I know for, okay, like you run into problems with this. I know that there are activists that need these things. And I mean like hardcore activists around the world who need, you know, like free proton mail accounts. They need free accounts for all kinds of things because, you know, they, they may be whatever level of impoverishment or just to, you know, have something more anonymous for their, you know, for, for their varying, you know, OPSEC and whatever else. Um, I, I get it, but man, one of the best things that anybody can do, like, and I've always applauded this when steam did it. I applauded it when they had the $5, uh, uh, limit, you know, like you had to spend $5 on steam to be able to communicate using the steam messenger, you know, and other things like overnight that killed bot traffic and, and like spam messages and everything overnight. Look, if signal wanted to charge, I don't know, a buck 99, whatever for the fucking app. I mean, are you telling me seriously, it's not worth it. Now, the problem is again, there are people who were buying things, buying like the signal app through some kind of app store or whatever else can be a problem. I mean, I would, you know, Threema, what Threema does is they, they let you buy it with Bitcoin independently from their site. That's a nice move. Okay. Uh, of course, Threema is now also on F droid, uh, which I thought was a brilliant move to finally, you know, have it there and, and have that taken seriously. I mean, not even signals on there, nor is a official version of telegram. There is an open source version that has some neat tricks to it that I, I think is important to have on there. But as far as I know, that's not officially developed. Um, but yeah, I mean, if signal just wanted to charge for the app, if, if that's, if that's the problem is they're concerned about like a mass influx of traffic. Yeah. Charge for the app. That'll at least solve part of it, you know? And I don't know, lead activists to get it. I mean, you can already download it independently from the site and you can just lead activists in that direction. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why the username thing is. I mean, cause he, he says it right here, you know, Evan Hahn says it right here on Reddit. It's a big undertaking. Why? Like just, just, just tell us the problem. I'm worried that they're not telling us the problem because they don't want to admit to perhaps the scenario that I just described, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, I look forward to the day. I'm glad that they care about it. If anything, I'm just glad that they know people want it and that they're fucking working on it. That's one of the most exciting things you know, in, in and of itself. Anyway, not a whole lot else to pull from that Reddit thread, but I just wanted to bring it up because if you're wondering, well, Hey, how do I get, you know, sure. I would use signal, but I don't want to hand out my telephone number. I don't want to do this and that it is something they're working on. So we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it when it happens. Obviously I will be announcing it here, but it at least is good that they're finally fucking working on it. Now, um, our next story in the foreplay here, uh, this is one that I'm, I'm kind of surprised by, 
Uh, and really we'll see, and we won't know until next year. So really this whole foreplay is just a look at the future of what's possible. And this is going to lead in pretty well to our story of the week, which actually overall is very good news in my opinion, when we get into it. Um, so for the story of the week, we're going to read from nine to five Google for, uh, this part of the foreplay, the story I have is actually from nine to five Mac by chance Miller. Uh, and here's the headline Apple wrapping up quote unquote, wrapping up development of mixed reality headset OS ahead of 2023 launch. And essentially they are, and, and I think Mark, uh, Mark Gurman who, you know, whatever has his insiders at Apple who are usually spot on. Um, not always as I understand it, but anyway, I don't follow like Apple that seriously, but certainly this is a story that I am intrigued to, to you know, to, to hear about that. This is actually in development and it looks like it's going to happen. It, you know, it's the, the mixed reality, uh, uh, headset, which, okay. So, and, and I mean, as far as expectations of what this thing's going to look like, all right, first off, let's describe what mixed reality is. Mixed reality is really another term for AR. Some people suggest that mixed reality or MR can also include virtual reality, not just AR, which is augmented reality. Augmented reality is when, you know, like you have glasses on and you see like pop-ups over the real world as to where virtual reality is, you are seeing an entire virtual world. The real world is gone. Um, MR has been used a few different ways, meaning that, you know, it could essentially be both or allow for both. Some people also call that XR. It's just stupid Silicon Valley jargon, but at the very least they're, they're looking at augmented reality. Um, but if their OS is wrapping up, like if they're that far along, uh, I'm pretty impressed because that puts them ahead of just about any other company that seems to be working on this other than Microsoft. But it doesn't matter if Microsoft was ahead of the game or not. They've basically dropped HoloLens, you know, and they did their, their, their military test with it because it wasn't, even though they had that dynamite presentation of showing it's gaming applications for like the Xbox ecosystem. And really as cool as that looked, and it did look cool. And that was augmented reality with HoloLens. Um, you know, like they, I guess they just felt, no, n- nobody's, nobody's going to go for this, which is so strange because it's not like Sony's given up on the VR concept. So if they want to directly compete, I mean, cause no one's competing with Nintendo. I mean, with Nintendo, Nintendo doesn't have competition. They don't even play by the laws of physics for fuck's sake. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how they do what they do. I- I'm just glad they do it, but I don't know how they do what they do, but Regardless, if your competition is PlayStation, you'd think you'd want to meet them anywhere they are. And that includes with VR slash MR or whatever else. Um, but, you know, Microsoft ended up taking HoloLens and just saying, oh, yeah, well, we're going to try and schlep that off to the military because for whatever reason, they didn't think it was going to work in gaming. Of course, then they schlep it off to the military. And what happens is, you know, the army tests it out and you know, an entire platoon gets sick (laughs) because it fucks with their head so much. Uh, anyway, so that's not happening, but Apple's really dead set on this. And now the expectation for 2023 is that this is something they're really not, at least this first version that they're building out or that, that they're potentially going to release in 2023 again with the OS almost pretty much done. 
uh, yeah, I'm still in awe of that. Uh, so this isn't going to be something initially in 2023. This first version isn't going to be targeting, you know, like, like mass consumers. Uh, but it's going to be more of like, you know, pro users, developers, things like that. Um, and I get that, you know, you, you got to figure it out again, this really, even that kind of release, I think is kind of odd because that's a lack of trust. Like even though the OS is set, which is, I guess kind of the hard part. Well, no, the hard part is finding use cases. Um, but you don't, something about this isn't right because it feels like when you're not doing a, um, you know, a release for mass appeal, it feels like you don't have confidence in the product unless what's going on is they just can't develop that many, but they want to be out ahead of the competition. Maybe Apple wants to be able to claim once again, that, um, they're being, you know, innovative, which they really haven't unless you want to count like the M one, which is certainly, you know, really game changing technology. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but yeah, maybe that's why they want to be out ahead on this, you know, but, but maybe they're concerned about supply chain. And so it's just going to be stupid expensive for now because it's expensive even just to source the product and they can't even source that much anyway. So they'll make it kind of cost prohibitive. Um, this will be interesting to see and to keep an eye out for. Uh, I mean, my problems with augmented reality, among other things, are legion. And certainly as we get closer to more of this becoming a no pun intended reality, I want to have that conversation. You know, fortunately, the market seems to be speaking right now and anything having to do with metaverse or certainly meta. I mean, face, you know, meta dropped how many people and well, we're going to talk about a little bit more because they also dropped a ton of product. Um, we'll get into that during the story of the week. You know, the metaverse does not appear to be happening at all. And this is the overall problem with, you know, MR, AR, VR, whatever is it's something, I mean, VR, the gaming applications are interesting. Maybe something, some of the things happening in the enterprise space might be interesting, but with, you know, with augmented reality or mixed reality, you're I mean, in Google developers with Google glass have come out and admitted this, you know, in recent years that, yeah, we, we didn't even, you know, we didn't think about any of the problems and we didn't even think about what problem this could be solving. We're just like, oh yeah, we can do it. And, you know, top brass is saying, do it. And so they did it and they put it out there and it was DOA because it was creepy and because there was nothing really to use it for, not in people's everyday lives. I mean, I've brought this up on sovereign tech so many times, the point that, okay, like we look at, you know, just imagine what Apple would do, you know, with an augmented reality headset or glasses or whatever they're going to end up looking like, you know, they're going to go for something kind of chic or fuck. I hope so. <laughs> you don't want it to end up like what Google did. Uh, you know, suppose, suppose that they come out with that. Here's the thing we can say, Oh yeah. Well, I watched this movie or I watched this TV show and they did all this cool shit with augmented reality and all this cool shit with virtual reality and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, sure. Like they figured out what to do with this in those movies and in those TV shows. But here's the thing. Most people, and to some people I'm throwing shade to others. I mean, no shade. Uh, you don't do cool shit in your life. Like, <laughs> You're not on a starship. 
you know, where you have to like repair something or whatever, and you need schematics in front of your eyes, or, you know, you're not living in an underground, like self-sustaining city where this is your form of entertainment. Like your, your life is nothing like the lives that are completely made up in these movies and TV shows where it suddenly makes sense or it's oh so cool to wear augmented or, you know, to, to take advantage of augmented reality, reality technologies, or even VR. Uh, and, and that's the point that people miss, you know, is that, that most people's lives are just so fucking humdrum. I mean, how many people have put on, you know, like th- their Oculus Rift and after, you know, maybe at best, well, let's just say for a time frame, maybe for like two weeks to two months, they'll use it. And then they're just like, eh, you know, that you can't build an ecosystem on something that people just get, you know, lackadaisical about inside of two months. So anyway, and now I know there are people who love this stuff and have entire rooms dedicated to it. And maybe they play for years and years and years. But again, the scale at which these companies operate, they can not just have they can't even just have like a hundred thousand users. They can't even just have a million users. It's a billion or nothing. And even that's too low. Otherwise, none of this stuff makes enough money. It doesn't matter if it brings in a billion dollars. That ain't enough money. We know that. I mean, how many things has Apple killed that they projected would make them, you know, billions over the next five years? It's not enough money. That's the scales that we're playing at. And that's why I don't believe or trust pretty much anything, you know, that comes out of Silicon Valley. Uh, I mean, credit to Samsung. Like I said, they will test the market, right? They'll, they'll put shit that's an R and D they'll put it out live and you can actually buy it, you know, and it's also not an insane price, uh, comparatively. Uh, and I've always given them credit for that. I love that about Samsung that, that they will actually like, they'll, they'll, you know, show off a prototype. And they'll let you buy it. But I have to admit right now, I wonder who's actually going to come out with stuff. I mean, that was the point I was going to get to is that I didn't, I don't, I'm surprised. In fact, there's no guarantee. It doesn't matter what Mark Gurman says. There's no guarantee that just because the OS is done, that they're actually, that Apple's going to release this product in 2023. Uh, I think they'd be, uh, I mean, I would just imagine just with supply chain issues that it would make far more sense for it not to come out until like 2026. I mean, no one else is doing anything in that range that we are, you know, in that sector that we know of why, uh, well, for the same reason, I mean, they're, they're all tightening their belts due to supply chain issues. They're all firing, you know, tens of thousands of people or more. Um, it's not pretty. So in fact, we're going to talk about just how bad it's getting because it's even hurting the true, tech giant, the Colossus, that being Amazon. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech on that. Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises, but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store, and more. All with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? 
How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the Interplanetary File System? Good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com. Agoristhosting.com. Story of the week. You know, one one of my issues with augmented reality or mixed reality, in fact, I mean, particularly those over even like virtual reality. Um, I really, I think that there are amazing things that could be done with virtual reality um, that relate to uh, uh, therapy, and of course, also, I mean, the concept. And this is something I've even used VR products for in the past. Uh, you know, for watching movies and like, you know, where it's like you're in a theater and it simulates that experience and it's that giant screen. I think those are completely valid reasons for virtual reality and awesome things to do and could be very social and enjoyable, uh, especially long distance, right? Everybody can actually be, you know, in the theater together, watching the movie. I've talked about this many times over the years, but that's not the direction things are going. I guess that's just too humdrum for people. I don't know. Uh, but here's the thing, <laughs> like my big problem with mixed reality and augmented reality, or it, it's kind of the, it, it's the, it's the star on top of the tree. Oh, <laughs> and certainly we'll, we'll get to the rest of the tree at some point, but the star on top of the tree is people don't even have a grasp on this reality. Why the fuck would you hand them another? Like, not only that, you know, with augmented reality, like you're painting over this reality and this reality, the, the real meat space is falling apart right now, at least in ways that we know it, certainly within America anyway. Uh, and I don't mean politically, I mean like economically and, you know, <laughs> Well, GDP is bullshit, but anyway, <laughs> things are just falling apart. Look, when Amazon has to do cost cutting as a business, oh yeah, things are bad. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> what that sleepy ass uh, guy they call president, you know, like says during an interview, like when Amazon cannot continue the, you know, uh, uh, their, their, their service of the, the church of eternal growth. Shit's bad out there. This story is coming from, uh, it's, it's nine to five Google, November 11th by Abner Lee. Here's the headline. Amazon cost cutting review, looking at Alexa as meta pulls out of smartwatches and displays. So we are talking about two of the biggest companies on the planet who are really hurting. And let's read the story. As belt tightening measures continue across the tech industry, notable hardware pullbacks are occurring from both established Amazon with Alexa and newer Meta's portal smart displays uh, players. Yesterday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Amazon is, quote, closely evaluating and, quote, Alexa as part of a cost cutting review. The company is currently deciding on whether to add new features to Alexa, which, quote, would require greater investment, end quote. Quote, the business, and this is from Wall Street Journal, 
The business has more than 10,000 employees and is a major recipient of investment capital. Some of the people said internal documents viewed by the wall street journal show that in some recent years, Amazon's device unit or devices unit, which includes Alexa had an operating loss of more than $5 billion a year. End quote. What stallion breaking in what the fuck? The entire Alexa operation, all these Alexa devices that, oh, everybody supposedly fucking loves is running at a $5 billion a year loss. What the fuck is the end game that you're willing to, I mean, how long has Alexa been around five, six, seven years? And you're like, what is the end game on this? Like, what's the point? What does profitability look like if you're willing to risk $5 billion a year? Now, that's not unheard of for Amazon. Let us be abundantly clear. That's not unheard of for Amazon. Amazon didn't have a profitable quarter until almost 20 years into its existence. Actually, it might have been 20 years until they finally had a profitable quarter. Of course, once it became a profitable quarter, then it was through the goddamn roof. But what the fuck is going on that... Five billion a year they're running it. Like the the numbers that these companies operate on are insane. It's no goddamn wonder that they're engaging in mass layoffs, or in this case, that they're looking at Alexa like, oh gee, where can we uh, uh you know tighten the belt a bit? Holy shit, five billion dollars a year at a loss, and we're developing and doing more with this crap. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't want people to lose their jobs, but I'd fire everybody in a heartbeat or, you know, have them work elsewhere if they want, whatever. Like this is, this is insane. Let's read on with the story. Uh, the report says, quote, many cu- uh, customers use Alexa for only a few functions and quotes. <laughs> I love this honesty. Oh man. <laughs> because yeah. What do you, what do you use? Alexa or Siri or Google, you know, like a Google assistant or whatever for, Hey, could, could you set a timer for such and such a time? As far as I know, that's all people do with that shit, you know? So like they only use a few functions, right? Because this stuff is crap. Anyway, let me keep reading though. Amazon countered by noting that Alexa interactions have increased over 30% in the past year what so people have to set more timers because they're cooking from home more I, <laughs> I don't know what, what the fuck to say sorry it's not in the nine to five google story but this is quote specifically the company says people use the voice assistant for starting music controlling smart home devices and shopping oh how helpful <laughs> really <laughs> okay Reading on. Meanwhile, a recent report said that Google is focusing development of its smart assistant on key first party products in a sharp contrast to the past few years of putting assistant and its branding on everything from assistant snapshot to driving mode. There's been a sharp pullback. Of course, Stanley breaking in. We've talked about this over the, well, really the past month of what Google's future plans are. Uh, they certainly see great value in assistant, even though I think it runs into the same, it's gotta be running into the same issues as, you know, Amazon's Alexa. Um, but they're looking to make Google assistant something that is, you know, like it's in first party products and it's there only, or at least certain features are there only. Um, 
so that that's a little bit different than like cutting cutting back like this is about creating an ecosystem but anyway let's keep reading what Google has been interested in is focusing on improving the core user experience as seen with look and talk and quick phrases on the Nest Hub Max, as well as applying AI to smart home related commands. Elsewhere, Reuters and The Verge reported today that Meta is fully killing off its portal smart displays, even as a product for businesses. Earlier this year, the portal stopped being a consumer product and reoriented as a work, uh, work from home companion that exit leaves Google and Amazon in the smart display while Apple is rumored to be making an entry. Uh, Google's next big move will be the pixel tablet and will be interesting to see whether assistant smart display functionality will make the Android tablet more appealing to consumers. At the same time, Meta is also killing two upcoming smartwatches after canceling its Milan wearable with two cameras. So look, okay. So, so Amazon's hurting. Facebook's hurting. Uh, is that the sign of recession and the sign of a shit economy? Absolutely. Are those bad things? Yeah, pretty much, you know, for most people. And I, and I want to be sensitive to that. Um, but ultimately, is this a good thing? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh Yes. <laughs> Wait, wait, you're going to stop the AI apocalypse. You're going to, you're, you're going to pull back on some of surveillance, uh, you know, the surveillance civilization, some of the surveillance capitalism. Oh, 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 let, let me, let me pour one out for you, Jeff. Here, hey, Bezos here, man, have a beer. What? No, I don't drink here. You have it. You need it. I don't. <laughs> Zuck, you want something? No, 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 no. Alcohol. Alcohol is going to damage your circuits, you fucking Android. Anyway, sorry. No, I don't mean to insult Androids. I do that every time. I'm so sorry. Mechanical life is valid. Okay. So ultimately this is, everybody should pour one or, you know, everybody should have a drink actually not pour one out. I mean, they're pouring one out. Everybody should have a drink to this one. I mean, because fucking a, is this exciting news? Like this is it. This is degrowth. This, this is, this is scaling back on more plastic bullshit. Um, I, I mean, you know, the one thing is though, I'll say this, I would have been intrigued to see what, what meta had in mind for smartwatches, you know, like that's certainly, I mean, cause the, the pixel watch is not living up to any expectations whatsoever. Most of the wearables out there are fucking shit. Um, so I, I would have been intrigued because, and a lot of people have said this, what's the one thing keeping them from getting a smartwatch? It's the fact that it doesn't have a camera on it. Um, I have been bullish for a long time on, I want the watch that replaces my smartphone. I am all there for that, but no one's really come out with that, like really come out with that product that, that can really replace the smartphone. And there's not much else that it needs to do to be able to pull that off. Um, but regardless, I would have been intrigued to see what meta had in mind. And we don't exactly know what those would have looked like. I think it's hilarious that portal, you know, that, that they're, they're killing that. I mean, I don't think anybody was buying it anyway. Uh, they basically had to turn it into some kind of an enterprise product. Uh, I mean, but the thing was fucking creepy. It was like following you around, you know, like the camera would move and, and, and follow you around. Uh, I think it's hilarious. Everybody recognized that that was creepy, but then nobody, you know, nobody, thinks about just how nuts, what is it? Is it center stage or whatever the hell they call it for iPad, you know, on Apple products where it can like make sure you're at the center. 
you realize that's effectively a camera following you if it's going to keep you in the center, but Oh, Apple did it. So it's not creepy. Fuck off. Yes. It's fucking creepy. And it's going to be creepy if they ever release their fucking mixed reality headset as well. Cause you know, it's going to have a camera that is going to have a camera. Otherwise, what is hot? You know, unless it's going to operate entirely on air tags, which that would be funny because then I'm going to start placing like air tags all over the place that link to porn. <laughs> you know, and then people can just walk around in the grocery store and instead of seeing the price of onions and go, holy shit, look at that size of that cock. Woo. Be like Tyler Durden out there, baby. I'm here for you. Yeah, I, this is good news, folks. Uh, <laughs> if anything good has come out of any of this is that this shit is stalled and it buys you time to do whatever you need to do to basically get out of the surveillance civilization before it gets worse because it is just going to get worse. You know, again, we got a nice reprieve here. I'm not expecting this to be like, all oh, these companies are going to tank. I mean, meta could tank like that company could die. Uh, and it'd be hilarious. But frankly, I think if they were at that level, they would, they would offer the company up to be bought. Microsoft would probably buy them. I mean, they've already had controlling stakes in them in the past or large stakes, uh, not necessarily controlling, but somebody would buy them out or Amazon would buy them out because they could finally have an inroad, uh, into, you know, into social media, uh, certainly with like Instagram. So, you know, even, even if they could go away, I don't know that they would exactly go away. But regardless, we got a little bit of a reprieve and I, I, I mean, you know, us, like <laughs> if you ever needed, if you ever needed proof, in fact, we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get into the ancient and the strange, if you ever needed proof that like money is fucking fake, at least, and, and certainly, you know, as much as it might seem like a reality to us, it's fucking fake to the people on top because who in the right goddamn mind would run anything at a $5 billion a year loss? You know, I mean, we, we talk about things that, that Google kills off and we make fun of Google and rightfully so we should make fun of Google every day, all the time. Like the, these companies deserve absolute derision, uh, you know, and, 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 and at the very least some very, very scathing words sent out, but at least Google, you know, like, Google's the things that they develop. Usually they're not running it at a loss. Usually it's like, okay, well driving assistant or whatever. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that would have made us, you know, a billion dollars a year over the next few years. But again, they would have at least made profit. Right. So, you know, we can rip on Google all we want, but at least they're making money as to where Amazon is literally losing money on this shit. Hand over fist, $5 billion a year for years. Why? why? Like, in what world is that person a good businessman? You know, who's running this or a business person whose ideas these are? In no world. Certainly wouldn't trust a company who's, who's, you know, like in a sinking ship like that. Would you trust them with your data and with your product and what you put in your house? I wouldn't anyway, looks like the Amazon world domination tour has, uh, has, has hit a bump, <laughs> a very nasty bump. And I hope it goes on for a long, 
long time. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Space, psychology, book and movie recommendations, fiction from the Sovereign Universe, travels to points of mystery and the unexplained, and even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter! By me, Ellen Sovereign, along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education, the education that really matters. If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica Newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N dot substack dot com. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's Choice. Woo, it is time for Listener's Choice, and we have got a doozy. From uh, actually, this comes out of the uh, uh, Patreon only, the Sovereign Tech Patreon only Discord uh, channel, and we specifically have a tech news, uh, tech news and tips channel uh, or sub channel there, and uh, the <laughs> I, I mean, I just saw the headline as I mean, this is the point of headlines, right? And and it's coming from Bleeping Computer, who they usually do a better job than most. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you got to read it. Right. And so the headline was Android phone owner accidentally finds a way to bypass lock screen. Oh boy. <laughs> well, from Bill Toulis, let's get in it or let's get right into it. And this is from November 12th, 2022 cybersecurity researcher, David Schutz accidentally found a way to bypass the lock screen on his fully patched Google Pixel 6 and Pixel 5 smartphones. So this isn't just a tensor problem, right, with the Pixel 6, enabling anyone with physical access to the device to unlock it. Uh, exploiting the vulnerability to bypass the lock screen on Android phones is a simple five-step process that wouldn't take more than a few minutes. Google has fixed the security issue on the latest Android update released last week, but it has remained available for exploitation for at least six months. Now, standing breaking in for a minute, um, this amazingly was not like this exploit is actually very Google specific, uh, but we'll talk more about it. So, uh, let's see, uh, Accidental finding. Schutz says he discovered the flaw by accident after his Pixel 6 ran out of battery, entered his pin wrong three times, and recovered the lock SIM card, uh, or yeah, recovered the lock SIM card during the PUK personal unblocking key code. To his surprise, after unlocking the SIM and selecting a new pin, the device didn't ask for the lock screen password, but only requested a fingerprint scan. Android devices always request a lock screen, uh, 
password or pattern upon reboot for security reasons, so going straight to fingerprint unlock wasn't normal. The researcher continued experimenting, and when he tried reproducing the flaw without rebooting the device, he figured it was possible to go straight to the home screen, bypassing the fingerprint too, as long as the device had been unlocked by the owner at least once since reboot. The impact of the security vulnerability is quite broad, affecting all devices running Android versions 10, 11, 12, and 13 uh, that haven't updated to November 2022 patch level. Uh, Physical access to a device is a strong prerequisite. However, the flaw still carries severe implications for people with abusive spouses, those under law enforcement investigations, owners of stolen stolen devices, etc. The attacker can simply use their own SIM card on the target device, enter the wrong pin three times, provide the PUK number, and access the victim's device without restrictions. Uh, This issue is caused by the keyguard being wrongfully dismissed after a SIM PUK unlock due to a conflict in the dismiss calls impacting the stack of security screens that run under the dialogue. When Schutz entered the correct PUK number, a dismiss function was called twice, once by a background component that monitors the SIM state, and once by the PUK component. This caused not only the PUK security screen to be dismissed, but also the next security screen in the stack, which is the key guard, followed by whatever screen was next queued into the stack. If there's no other security screen, the user would directly access the home screen. Okay, so you got a few problems here. Um, One is that not everybody is going to get the November 7th, 2022 security update, certainly in a timely fashion. Uh, I mean, Google just put it out on, let's see, it would have been the, the, the first Monday of the month. As long as that Monday wasn't the first, it would have been out. So about a week ago, a little over a week ago, they would have put it out. Um, and again, I mean, a lot of other manufacturers just aren't up to snuff on that. Now, some manufacturers, this apparently did, I dug a little deeper in some manufacturers that this did not affect readily because, um, they customize a lot of, a lot of elements of Android, including the UI that resolve this. Okay. Now the thing is, you know, is that like, I mean, you're basically, that's basically a hope and a prayer, hoping that, you know, a manufacturer somehow did something on accident that would allow for this. Uh, and again, your ultimate problem is most people aren't even, unless you're in the Samsung ecosystem or in the pixel ecosystem, maybe Xiaomi, if you're lucky, or like the nothing phone, you know, some of these more boutique phones or like one plus perhaps, maybe you're going to get that November patch for Android in a timely fashion, but a lot of people are not. Okay. So what's an actual solution here? And I want to talk about it. An actual solution. Um, and I've, you know, been a proponent of this. I've written about it in dark Android books, uh, in the past, what you really want to be able to do is, and some apps will have this built into them. Others, you're going to have to install some kind of third party security, uh, uh, security app to be able to do this. But what you want to do is you want to put a lock screen or a lock on any super important apps, you know, or apps that are, uh, really, uh, sensitive. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. For example, uh, signal or telegram, can be locked with biometrics. Uh, I mean, pretty much every bank app is locked with either biometrics or a pin code, pretty much every one. Uh, I mean, not all certainly, but even if they're not by default, 
And again, most of them are, if there's, if they're not by default, try and set that up. Uh, this is really the solution because I mean, we can think of a lot of different hardware out there that is all about unlocking your phone. And then the hope is that they can run, you know, that whoever unlocked it, uh, could run roughshod on it, you know, with, I mean, I mean, there's varying ways where they could look at databases on the phone that even if you were, uh, biometric or pin locking, uh, you know, an app, a specific app, they might still be able to see what's happening in that app. Uh, and let's be clear here, like a person, yes, it's five easy steps. It could be done in a few minutes. Okay. But for somebody to go through this process, you're going to have to be somebody that's targeted anyway. Okay. This isn't something, you know, this is not a, you know, remote, you know, any kind of remote injection attack, you know, it's not a remote code attack or anything like a person has to be there, has to have a few minutes with your device. Um, you could argue that this makes a great case why you always want to carry your phone with you, you know, at all times, if it's such an important thing, I would argue, actually, it's a great reason to not have a smartphone at all because it's so goddamn, you know, in this sense, it's so, uh, not secure, but you know, let's meet in the middle of the road. Of course, that's usually where you get run over, but fine. Let's meet in the middle of the road in what's like a solution that you can do, especially if you're not getting this patch. Um, I mean, yeah, the easy thing for me to say is, okay, either buy Apple, buy Samsung, or, you know, or buy, you know, buy a Pixel phone and, you know, you'll get updates in a timely fashion. Uh, but, you know, most people that might be cost prohibitive or other issues, or you just, you know, you don't care in that sense. In that case, yeah, you want to get a, you want to set up, you know, that apps individually lock, you know, even past the home screen. And not only that, because if an app doesn't have that feature, and again, unfortunately, many do not, uh, you can download like Sophos. There's the security, cybersecurity company, Sophos. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Uh, they have an entire security suite for Android. And one of the things it does allow for is it will set up where you can pin lock or biometric lock every app that any, any app that you want on your smartphone. And I think that's about the smartest thing that you could possibly do. Again, if you're this targeted, I feel like you're kind of screwed anyway. Like if somebody's going to go this far, um, but you always want to make things harder for the other person, you know, and does that ultimately make things inconvenient or hard for you? Yes. But then you get a taste of the frustration that they're going to go through. And it's going to be even worse for them because time is not on their side if they have to like actually have your device. Now I want a second that like even, even half of this exploit was bad enough to where there was no need for the pin code and he could effectively reboot it to the point where all you needed is the biometric. I never ever suggest the use of biometrics of any kind, whether it's face unlock, finger unlock, take your pick. Why? Because how easy is that security to break? Just knock a person out. Hell, you don't even have to knock them out. Just have a couple of your buddies hold them down and put that finger on that phone. Hold that face in place. Whatever. Biometrics are a security fucking nightmare. So if you're going to set up apps, you know, to be individually locked, please do the pin lock. If you can do six digits, great. If it only offers four, fine. That sucks. But 
you know, six is better just because, you know, the permutations are so much higher, uh, to, you know, to guess the unlock, but at least do that. Okay. That's the, that's the real solution here because these kinds of, you know, I mean, let's be, let's be clear. These kinds of exploits and bugs are almost always going to exist. So creating layers of security is all the more important. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Journey into the far reaches of Aqua Space. Attention, security brief. Brace for impact. Seal out of doors, rig for collision. Launch countermeasures. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Album of the week. Ooh, it is time for the back half of the show, which means we get to relax and have some fun. And we are going to have some fun, even though maybe during ancient and strange, we'll get into some, uh, some serious topics, but, uh, what we have here is the album of the week. Now, Due to time constraints, we didn't get the album of the week in last week. Uh, and man, I feel bad that I'm behind because there have been some doozies that have come out in the past couple weeks. But this is one that actually didn't come out in the past couple weeks, but I don't think I ever talked about it. Um, even on the Patreon-only Wednesday Q&As, uh, those episodes where I've traditionally done an album of the week, now I do a movie of the week. Uh, and of course, we reinserted it into the Sovereign Tech Prime episodes here. Um, but I never covered this. And this came out in 2022. And man, this is a top 10 album for 2022. This is dynamite. I also had the great pleasure of even hearing uh, some of this before it came out. Uh, because Ellen and I, we went to, and this would have been back in March, April of 2022. Uh we went and saw Dragon Force. Of course, they were amazing, as you would expect. Um, but not only that, we caught th- their opening act, w- or one of their opening acts, was actually Firewind was there as well, which, man, Gus G. <laughs> what a fucking beast on the guitar. Uh, but we caught Visions of Atlantis. Tremendous band. Great harmonies. I mean, just and, and just some good, good hard metal. Uh I love these guys. And well, and of course their lead lead singer is a gal, um, but just a phenomenal act that's been around for a good long while. I mean, they are many, many albums deep. In fact, I think this is like their, oh fuck. Is this like their eighth album? I want to say, uh, but the album is called pirates and they went all out. I can tell you when we saw them live, I mean, like the whole stage was set up as a, as a pirate ship. And I mean, you'd think that'd be corny, right? But come on, this is metal. It wasn't corny at all. It's fucking amazing. Uh, and you know, they're all dressed up, you know, in, in pirate regalia, everybody, you know, every band member, uh, it was, it was a really impressive show and they, they performed, I want to say probably 80% of this album. Uh, and it's kind of a concept album. There's sort of a whole story that comes out around it. Uh, but 
I mean, there's just some dynamite tracks here. Uh, and again, if you're into pirates, you're going to love it because this has a pirate theme and, you know, I want to give it credit because there are a lot of bands you think like Ailstorm, not Hailstorm, Ailstorm. Um, and there've been a few others that go with this, like, like pirate, you know, kind of a, a motif, shall we say? And they, they are corny about it. Like they're very tongue in cheek. I appreciate the visions of Atlantis. We're not tongue in cheek at all. They're as serious as a fucking heart attack. You know, it's like how Manowar, you know, treats kind of the, 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 the barbarian, uh, 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 stylization and everything where they're, you know, no, yeah, they're coming out on loin, loincloths guys. You know, they're, they're going to wear loincloths on stage. Damn skippy. And they're serious. I love that. Sincerity, sincerity in art is such a big deal for me. I can, I can forgive a lot of things, you know, a lot of mistakes, um, in media and art when there's sincerity and visions of Atlantis has that in spades and they always have. I mean, I've been a fan of them for some time. Um, but, uh, legions of the sea freedom, uh, melancholy angel. I mean, there's just, there's dynamite tracks on this. It's really a track for track album. Like I said, I'm not kidding that it's a like top 10 album of 2022. I was, I love the story. I love the, the, the attitude of it. And even though I'm more of a ninja guy, you know, this could win me over a bit to the pirate side again, because of that sincerity in the music. I love it. Uh, so check it out from 2022. The album is called pirates. If I didn't say that already, the album is just, that's it. It's just called pirates by visions of Atlantis. And if you haven't checked out their back catalog, Oh man, <laughs> you, you are in for a treat. Like wait till you get to, uh, like Trinity or even, uh, the deep in the dark, just amazing albums. Anyway, we'll be, we're going to talk video games here in a minute, and we've got another hell of a pick to get into there. We'll be right back with more Sound Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Shall we play a game? Yes, my friends, let us talk about video games. Talk about something good that's happening. Of course, why is this good? Well, because it's 50 years old. <laughs> we are talking about the... I, I, now I knew this release was coming. It was announced. Uh, and certainly there have been a lot of, yet yeah, we're talking about Atari. What other video game company has been around for 50 years? Minus Magnavox, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> um, they have, you know, Atari and granted Atari has not been Atari for decades, right? Like it is not Nolan Bush. It hasn't been Nolan Bushnell's company in fucking forever. Um, and there has been a lot of re-releases and rehashes of Atari content and Atari uh, IP, I guess we'll say, um, that 
many of which have been very lackluster. Not all, but many have been very lackluster. Uh, so when there is the announcement of the Atari 50th anniversary celebration, some people took it with a grain of salt, but then you find out who's behind it. And basically any time that you hear about a retro collection of games coming out for modern consoles, and this thing is available, this 50th anniversary celebration is available on Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, PC, everywhere. Um, and I mean, you're just, you're just putting on, you know, Atari games. So <laughs> even the ones from the Jaguar, like you don't need a lot of horsepower. So there's no reason it can't be on everything and look fucking amazing. Anyway, uh, you know, a lot of people took this again w w with a grain of salt, you know, like, uh, all right. But the names, anytime you're doing a retro collection, like I was going to say, if you see M2 or digital eclipse, you know, you're in for something special because those two companies, especially, I mean, they're just masters of retro collections and bringing classic games and, you know, bringing them into the present and onto modern consoles and, you know, just giving us something fresh, you know, giving us something special. Digital Eclipse went so far out of their way and it's been a hell of a year for Digital Eclipse because let's be clear, they're the same people who put out the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection, which is really only bested in game releases this year by another Ninja Turtles game. You know, that being Shredder's Revenge. Like, otherwise, that Cowabunga collection would be fucking game of the year. Well, I guess it couldn't really be because it's a compilation, but fucking A, man, it should be. <laughs> Digital Eclipse did great on that. Did they live up to the hype on the Atari 50th anniversary celebration? Well, let me tell you, they were very smart to call it celebration and not collection because that's exactly what this is. It is a goddamn celebration of some gaming greatness. I think some out of 103 games, there's a lot of games that you have to unlock. I have not had the opportunity uh, to unlock any of those games yet. I've just been messing around. I took, look, you know, I get very little time to relax. I almost never relax. I have people messaging me all the time. Like, don't you know you don't have to work all the time? Like, what do you mean? What, 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 what is this relaxation you speak of? Uh, but I took some time this weekend when this came out, I was fortunate to get my hands on this and you know, and I, I had to check it out. I had to play it. And one of the things, so again, you got 103 some odd games here. One of the things, or a couple of the things that I was really excited about, there are actually three, like, look, I've had plenty of compilations and there have been previous compilations of Atari arcade games, Atari 2600 games. Um, and maybe something from like the, you know, the, the, uh, like say the, the 5,200 and the 7,800, maybe you'd get some of those games, which a lot of those were really just like updated versions of what came out for the 2,600, um, or closer to their, you know, arcade equivalents. There've been some amazing ones like the Atari anniversary redux that was done for the PlayStation, PlayStation one. That was a great collection. You even had like full motion video interviews with Nolan Bushnell and all that. That was, that was insane. Uh, back in the day, there have been, there's even other collections like say on the Nintendo switch is, which is where I ended up getting this game, uh, that, that are really great, but very few collections. This is what really counts. I mean, if you don't have any other, you know, Atari retro collections, then, you know, you're in for a treat here. 
because you're getting a great representation of what was available on the 80s consoles. And again, even in uh, uh, arcades, like, of course, Pong. I mean, that's an easy one. But you do get Crystal Castles. You get some others. There's definitely games I wish that were there that aren't, but whatever. And certainly some of them, like, you're just not going to get Star Wars, right? You know, licensing fees being what they are. It's just not going to happen. But what really excited me about this collection more so there were three things. One was they were going to put Atari Lynx games on this and you only got a few. We got like six on there, but that's excellent representation. Um, particularly you had basketball, Malibu, bikini, volleyball, scrapyard dog, super asteroids and missile command, turbo sub and warbirds. Now I wish road blasters was on there. That's what I played most on the links, but whatever. It's still like amazing that there's Atari Lynx games on this. Then the second thing that made it really exciting was this. And this is the first time that I can recall this ever happening. They actually put Atari Jaguar games on there. Now, of course the Atari Jaguar was the first quote unquote, true 64 bit, uh, uh, gaming console, you know, even ahead of the N 64 and its contemporaries. Uh, <laughs> now, if you play these Jaguar games, as exciting as it is to play that part of gaming history, uh, you're, you're going to see why the Jaguar did not do well very quickly. And yes, there are a couple of major games missing from this again, for licensing issues, the two best games I would argue for the entire system, that being Jurassic park and aliens versus predator. And they are dynamite games. If you can ever play them on an emulator or something, I do recommend it. Uh, but you do get, I mean, there, there's a couple winners here, but you get Atari carts club drive, which is <laughs> horrible, but it's interesting to see like that really early polygonal, you know, kind of, kind of graphics. It's that's something, uh, Cybermorph, which of course there was a classic angry video game nerd, uh, uh, episode about that. Um, evolution dino dudes, one of the better games on this fight for life, not one of the better games on this. <laughs> so it's a 3d fighter akin to like virtual fighter, which is one of the greatest, uh, franchises in history. One of my tops, uh, it's really bad, but then missile command 3d. Now this game is actually pretty cool. And originally was going to be a Jaguar VR. Speaking of virtual reality was going to be a VR game. And you can see some of the design elements would have worked really well in VR, but it's still intriguing. I mean, missile command just has timeless gameplay. Uh, and this version adds in some really interesting concepts. You, you just, you got to check it out to find out. Um, Runer pinball. Okay. Uh, Trevor McFur in the Crescent galaxy. That game is really strange and a true winner in this whole collection is Tempest 2000. Now here's the thing. Tempest 2000 has been updated and re-released beyond the Atari Jaguar, partly because it's one of the greatest games ever made. Um, you know, Jeff Minter, like just, just slayed it with that one. Um, but you can get Tempest 4,000 for the switch for a lot cheaper than this collection. And this collection digitally does cost $40. Um, so, but Tempest 2000, if you've never played it and, or maybe, you know, you want this collection, but you don't want to go for Tempest 4,000 for whatever reason, well, play Tempest 2000 for a little while. Believe me, you're going to want the updated version. Um, I mean, I played Tempest 2000 more on the Sega Saturn. Uh, there's also a great version of it, believe it or not on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, but you know, you're going to, you can't lose with whatever version you happen to play. Um, that's probably, I mean, next to, you know, AVP 
and Jurassic Park, probably the greatest game on the Jaguar. And like I said, really, it's one of the greatest games of all time. So in some ways it's worth it even just for that. And you're really in for a treat. Um, and you know, we got to be clear on this, like the Jaguar was incredibly difficult. It, or it's a difficult thing to play. Why? It's not because nothing has the horsepower to play those games. There's plenty of devices out there that have the horsepower to do that. The problem is the controller, look up a Jaguar controller. I mean, that thing has so many fucking buttons. It looks like, you know, like a phone dial pad. It, oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's cool in one sense, but in another, like, again, you need a keyboard to, to properly emulate, you know, some of its functionality for, you know, many games. Um, so having an official version, you know, of these games, of these Jaguar games that are mapped to a modern console, that in itself is a winner, uh, in my opinion, like that, that makes it very worth it because of that ease of, you know, pick up and playability. So, I mean, one of the differences I think you'll notice quickly when you're playing this, here's the thing, like it has, and, and there's a third thing I want to get into. And I, I will get into that. The third reason that you want this collection, uh, because it goes beyond all of this. So it also like the whole collection also functions like doubles as a museum of history for Atari. And I mean that in a very literal sense, like there's this incredible presentation where it's like an interactive documentary that you go through and I haven't even gone through all of it. Um, and you get all kinds of shit. You get video interviews, you get audio, you get art, you get all kinds of stuff. And it takes you on the journey. Like it's a timeline that you follow. It's really impressive. Uh, and I hope more companies like this should be seen as a reference demo for any future, uh, retro collection, you know, and I hope more people want to hire digital clips to do this right, because damn, did they do this right? Uh, so, you know, that part of it is really cool as well, but something you're going to notice if you try and play some of these games, especially if you've never played them before, two things you're going to run into one, you're going to find out that the concept of game AI was a very new idea and a resource prohibitive idea in this, in this era of gaming. So a lot of games you actually need two players in this game. And, and this collection does not have online functionality. And as far as I know, it's never going to be put in. That's okay. I'm fine with that, but you're going to need more people to sit with you to play some of these games proper. Uh, and it, you know, it'd be nice to have the online functionality because like combat is in my opinion, another like top 100 games of all time. Um, but you got to have a second player. So you're going to run into that. The other thing you're going to run into is these are games where in many ways you need them. You need to read the manual. Fortunately, the manuals are all easily accessible within the game itself, but you need to fucking read the, the manual. This, these games are not going to explain shit for you at all. Uh, that's th just, there, there wasn't even, you know, there wasn't enough memory on the carts to even attempt to do that. So that's something else to keep in mind if you're going to try this out, you know, and again, it, you were never really, um, you know, maybe you never really played classic Atari games before, uh, when you get into the links and the Jaguar era, things are a little bit different, but certainly, you know, like the, the, the 70, 2600 different time, different story pre Nintendo, or at least for some of that. So, uh, you know, and as far as like the game collection for that, I mean, you've got all the winners or many of the winners anyway. Yes, there are some things missing, but you got, you got some real winners. I mean, you have Tempest, Warlords, Asteroids, you know, you're in for a treat, like I mentioned, Combat as well, Gravatar, uh, many others. Now, 
the the insane part of this is when you actually get into they released um like digital clips actually developed new games based off of either Atari stylings or Atari franchises. And these, every one of these is brilliant. Not only that, they also finished based upon the notes of the original creator. They also finished the fourth game in the sword quest series. So yes, air quest finally, or air world finally exists. Uh, nobody's going to win like the whatever crown or, or something that, that was like part of the gameplay as in you would in real life, you'd win like this, you know, gold crown with jewels and all this shit. Uh, obviously that's not happening and that's a whole other story in itself, but to finally have closure to the sword quest series, uh, I think that's amazing. And this, this game is, is actually pretty cool. Uh, but you know, you have like a, a new version of breakout. Um, that plays really well. There's a game called Vector Sector, which is kind of a play on uh, like Asteroids and some other Atari properties. So, you know, it's kind of like a new property, but then at the same time, it's based off of other things that Atari had done and it has their classic vector graphics. Um, That is really slick. Um, You just, so you actually have a few new games, completely new games, some of which are modernized, others are, you know, more retro, uh, that, that I think are actually worth the price tag very much on their own. Like I played the Neo breakout. That, that was, that was awesome. I mean, I love that game anyway, but fuck. And, and vector sector is really, really cool. I could see that being a game that people talk about might even get released on its own at some point for like five bucks or might even end up with a sequel, which I think would be dynamite. Uh, like I think it's that good, you know, and the chance even just for a second to play air world, you know, why not? Uh, so this is a phenomenal collection. Everything, the controls are tight as fuck. Uh, the presentation is second to none, second to none. I mean, no one else is putting anything really quite like this. Uh, and it's amazing. Like, I love the fact that we have so much history available, uh, about Atari from the time that it mattered, you know, from the seventies going into arguably up to the Jaguar. I mean, we could say that it didn't, it didn't matter then but they were really trying and you fortunately get to see a little bit of, you know, them, them really, really trying that. Uh, like I said, there's, there's stuff missing from this that have been in other collections, like the flashback collections. Um, but overall you're, you're getting, you're getting a lot of the best, you know? And yes, these are not games, you know, that you spend like a hundred hours on to completion. This is a completely, much of this is from a completely different era, uh, of gaming. But I think it's an important one. And it's one, you know, the, the era of pick up and play is still really important. Um, and I'm looking forward to, you know, rocking some, some two player, uh, on a lot of this or maybe even more. Um, so yeah, check it out. And and, I mean, there's some other stuff, like there's just, there's some real rarities on this. Again, there are unlocks for you to go for, um, that I think, you know, add, add a little something. I think it's completely worth the price tag you know, that they're starting off with, but if you don't want to jump on this right away, yeah, sure. Wait until there's a sale and it's down to 20 bucks. Then it's, it's a no brainer, uh, at that stage. So anyway, the Atari 50th anniversary celebration, man, like I said, that is the most apt fucking name ever for a collection. This is a celebration of really a gaming company 
the gaming company that ultimately started it all might not have necessarily been first, right? You know, maybe Ralph bear was a little ahead with some other things, but it ultimately, you know, yeah. All right. I'm going to end off with this point because a lot of people think that video games are like a Japanese phenomenon. Now I'm not going to say that the Japanese, you know, didn't perfect it. I mean, they did, they perfected the formula, but we got to give credit where credit's due. Okay. <laughs> like this is something that came out of, you know, garages, uh, you know, on, on, on the other side of the world. And I think we often forget that. Uh, and it's worth to revisit, you know, kind of, I mean, cause it also gives you a bit of a, a bit of a cultural, uh, uh, look at a cultural window that, I mean, like what, what were people thinking when they would play these kinds of games? And I think there's a lot to actually extrapolate from that because these were games that were so simple. You really had to, you had to inject your own creativity and sometimes your own stories to make sense of what the fuck was happening on the game or to make it even that much more exciting. And I think there might be a bit of a power in that. So if you've never tried these, you might be in for a very odd treat that you weren't expecting. And I will leave it at that. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake 7 at Blake7.com. The Ancient and the Strange It is time for The Ancient and the Strange, and this may be, for a while, the last time that I read from the spirituality segment of the Sovereign Technica newsletter for The Ancient and the Strange. Now, like I said, I've been laying out, I, the reason I've done this is because I am laying out the foundation for a lot of what we're going to talk about during the ancient and the strange. And, you know, there are other, it's not that this is the last one that I've written. There are actually many more, uh, including an entire series, uh, which we will be continuing about naturism. Um, there is also, there, there's ones that are about more practical things that you could do in reference to spirituality. And those will be continuing. Uh, there's a lot. There's, there are others that you can get into, but this is kind of the last, I don't want to say it's the last of the foundational ones, but it's the last one that makes sense, I think, to put into audio format. And it's an important one that I think deserves to come at closer to the end, at least, of much of what we've laid out already. 
because in this article, in this write-up that I did, uh, it is titled the anti-economics of spirituality. And this is a really important subject to get into. Um, because I think for a lot of people, when their spirituality goes into what I would argue to be the woo woo, um, it turns into a lot of wish fulfillment. It turns into, you know, the secret, you know, Rhonda Burns bullshit, uh, and, and, you know, law of attraction and all of that. Or it even turns into, if you're Christian, it turns into like, you know, Joel Osteen's prosperity nonsense. Uh, you know, I mean, and Hey, like <laughs> I do have a doctorate of divinity. I don't see the prosperity gospel in the Bible where you, you say that's a thing that you preach it, but where is it? It's not there. You must be making up your own book, but I think the end of revelation says you can't do that. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> why don't we get into it? And then maybe I'll have a little bit of commentary at the end, but let's get into from, this is from issue 10 of the Sovereign Technica newsletter, that being the anti-economics of spirituality by none other than me. The anti-economics of spirituality. I'd like to quote a hero of mine and a fellow doctor of the universe, Dr. Purple himself. Money don't matter tonight. It sure didn't matter yesterday. Just when you think you've got more than enough, that's when it all up and flies away. That's when you find out that you're better off making sure your soul's all right because money didn't matter yesterday and it sure don't matter tonight. While I might quibble with the use of the word soul, I get the artist's point and it's valid. This is something that frankly turns most people off to the occult and the truly spiritual. And I want to get it out of the way early as we continue on this journey in the spirituality segment of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Spiritual practice, occult, esoteric, mystical, magical, Kabbalistic, pick your term, will not make you rich. Really, done right, it likely will never make you a dime. This leads many people to ask themselves, then why even bother with this stuff? Great question. While I don't have exact figures before me, I wonder how many people are either killed or commit suicide that are in the wealthiest 25% of people on the entire planet compared to the other 75% of the population. I think the stats would show that the suicide slash murder rate of that top 25% is exceptionally higher than the other 75% disproportionately higher. Why is this? I don't know that I need to spell it out and there would clearly be more than one reason, but let me say this genuine self-improvement and thus improvement of the universe around you and intrinsic happiness the very heart and purpose of spiritual practice takes time, years, decades. And if you take it to its heights, perhaps even centuries or more, seriously. So much time, in fact, that the pursuit of money in the materialistic world becomes increasingly difficult. Not only that, but the often nonsensical nine to five work most do will, over time, reveal itself to be the painful distraction and antithetical effort that it actually is to your goal of becoming a pleasure-filled denizen of the universe. Remember that galactic mindset I've been espousing on Sovereign Tech for years? As I've said before, I often come at these subjects from the writings and lens of Kabbalah, which itself has a Jewish bent. In Judaism, the perfect life 
is the study of Torah all day long. That's right. A Jew's job is to study the Torah, not to work at McDonald's, not even to become brain surgeons, but simply to study Torah. Do I agree with that specific idea? No, some work, even technical or menial tasks can be a symphony to the worker. Work can be a meditation in itself, but the abstract point of studying Torah all day is still sound. One's day-to-day life, including what work you find yourself doing, should be a joy and a meditation. But gathering food is a pain in the ass, they say. That's only because we're so disconnected from our food and so distracted by much of civilization that we forget gathering food is an opportunity to connect with the natural world and ourselves instead of the materialistic world. I'm not intending this to be an anti-work screed. Quite the opposite, actually. I want this to be a reminder that money cannot buy the true, from the inside, long-lasting health and happiness that spiritual practice and connecting with the natural world can for the individual. It's important to note that spirituality is as much anti-philosophy as it is anti-economics. To be clear, you're not going to starve for taking more time to practice your spirituality, but you will find less and less time for more, shall we say, hollow pursuits. Do you need money to survive in today's materialistic world? Yes, more or less. Can you buy and do cool things with more money? Yes, absolutely. Do you need $10 billion to have an exciting, fulfilling life? No. Will money take you to other planets? I've yet to see a single billionaire step foot on Mars. In fact, they keep failing at that. Will money attract the love of your life that will stick with you through even the darkest times? Nope. That's a guaranteed way to not find that kind of lover. Will spiritual practice give you all of the above? Yes. So, you tell me. Who gives a shit if spiritual practice doesn't make you money? Money don't matter tonight. And it sure didn't matter yesterday. And there you have it from issue 10 of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. You know, I want to put out a huge thank you uh, from both Ellen and I. Uh, We got another... I think I mentioned this last week that we had someone sign up for an entire year uh, because there's a paid and a free version, but someone signed up for an entire year ahead of time of the paid version of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. And then this week, another person signed up for an entire year of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. We are so, so honored. I cannot tell you how much work, you know, I talked about that not relaxing <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Believe me, Ellen's very much in the same boat. I, I can't tell you how much work we put into that. Uh, it's a lot. And we're really honored by anyone, you know, who finds so much value that they even pay a year in advance, you know, and believe me, this is something that's, that we're, we're in the long game for. We've been doing it for many, 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 many months now. Um, and we're not stopping, but to the point, uh, of what I just read from the spirituality segment of issue 10 of the sovereign Technica newsletter. Um, now when it says anti-economics it's, and you'll see this in the show notes, it's anti dash economics. Okay. So it's not so much that it's like against economics. It's that it is the anti-economics as in <laughs> like how anti-matter is the opposite of matter. It's not so much that anti-matter is like against matter. Well, it is, I guess when they touch, but you get my point. Um, And there's a broader conversation to be had around the reality of money and what money actually is. Um, And I think there's a lot of questioning to do around that. But one of the single most important things is 
that again with spirituality you know now you can say oh a stallion yeah but you, you you know you're making you and ellen are making money on on the sovereign technica newsletter no 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 because there's only one part of it that talks about spirituality and that part is completely free like that that was the whole goddamn point that that part is free because i'm trying to prove the point that i made that if you're doing spirituality right there is a very good chance that you'll never make a penny a dime off of the whole concept off the whole thing off of your 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 entire life's spiritual practice but you will gain so much more that money can't actually buy like you don't see me uh in fact recently in the sovereign technical newsletter i wrote um you know, like about some practical things you could do, like your holy ground, creating your holy ground that you can take with you anywhere and all this. There are no Amazon links. I'm not interested in making money off of that. Okay. Just a really key point. And, and this is my, you know, one of my biggest problems with things like the secret or, uh, you know, t- take, take your pick of it, you know, all of it here. And uh, here's the sad part. Okay. Because the secret, uh, I want to talk about this for a minute. The secret, which was, I mean, just did gangbusters. Okay. As far as, um, you know, for a documentary at the time, I mean, DVDs were still kind of a big thing. So it was able to really make that money. If it were more of a streaming situation at that time, I think we could have seen a different version of history as it were. So Rhonda Byrne was very right place, right time. Books still mattered at the time. Um, even though that book is like so fucking basic. Anyway, she at least openly admitted at first that, you know, none of what she was presenting with the secret was an original idea. Um, and even on the secrets website, and again, you know, set the way back machine to whatever, 2009, 2007 to 2009, when like the whole conversation around the law of attraction was a really hot thing. Um, you know, like on, on the website, she would share, like the, the work of Wallace D. Waddles, who I think he runs into problems because he loses sight of, just as Rhonda Byrne did, loses sight of the fact that spirituality is anti-economics. It's like, anti again, anti-economics. Um, but she also shared uh, the Master Key System, which I think is one of the single greatest books ever written um, by Charles Hanel. And that book makes it abundantly clear that you don't, don't think about like, if you, you know, cause that book, you could argue, I, I don't think it espouses the law of attraction. It espouses something completely different, but let's just say you were to interpret it under the lens of the bullshit. That is the law of attraction. And again, I'm trying to make this clear to you just how much crap the law of attraction is. Okay. But let's say you look at it through that lens. That book never says to even think about the money. Don't think about money. Think about the result of what having more money would bring you. Think about the result, not the money. Now, here's the thing. The secret gets that completely wrong, right? If you watch the documentary, you know, like uh, they, they have, what is the guy? Chicken soup for the soul, Jack Campbell. Um, Jack Campbell, you know, he talks about how he took a, a check and he wrote, he wrote out a check to himself, basically, that says that said a million dollars. And he put it, you know, he taped it to the ceiling in his bedroom so that when he woke up and when he went to sleep, it was the first and last thing that he was thinking about was that million dollars. 
that's a fail, <laughs> right? I mean, he can argue that, oh yeah, well, I did Chicken Soup for the Soul and it went gangbusters and I made it, you know, but that's not what, you know, texts that, you know, actual spiritual texts, it's like, that's not how they talk about, you know, getting to these things, um, is to like actually think about like the, the monetary amount. Uh, I mean, most people don't realize that there were entire compilations by people who might even espouse the concept of the law of attraction that in fact, some of the people that were in these books that were like against the secret, you know, that, that, that documentary, uh, some of the people that did write-ups for these books that critiqued the secret were actually in the movie. And they said that the movie got them wrong. Like the movie, you know, like used their quote in a way that they did not intend. Um, which is, which is funny, you know, that even people that made that documentary were effectively calling bullshit on it. And, you know, I'm glad that they did. Uh, but this is the key point that, you know, really like the secret, the law of attraction, that's all more prosperity gospel nonsense. Okay. And the thing is those, those ideas, the law of attraction, the secret or the secrets version, anyway, of the law of attraction, I guess I should, I could be particular there or have some nuance there and the prosperity gospel. Um, look, spirituality has no profit motive. The profit motive is not, and that's what makes it anti-economics is, I mean, yes, there are different types of economics, right? Uh, you know, we could get into, you know, economic systems that are, shall we say more within the realm of, you know, anthropologists, like say stone age economics, right. Or gift economies, or, um, you know, you could get into communism or capitalism. And of course, both of those come in a million different flavors. Um, there are different kinds of economies, but point being that spirituality is a completely individualistic and intrinsic thing. An economy requires more people, right? It requires interaction. Now we are a social species. I'm not saying that that's not true. Okay. But this is my point that spirituality is about the individual and has individualistic expression. It cannot have anything to do with econ with the economy. It cannot have anything to do with the profit motive because we are talking about things on a, on the scale of the universe. And the universe, look, I hate to break it to you. The universe doesn't care about capitalism or communism. It doesn't give a shit what your economic model is. It'll just drop an asteroid on your planet and oh, gee whiz, there goes Amazon. But that's the level you're playing at when you're engaging in spiritual practice on a long enough timeline. So no, there are no economics. Now, if, if you didn't know who I was quoting there with Dr. Purple, uh, that of course, Dr. Purple is Prince, you know, or I even said the artist, right. As in the artist formerly known as Prince at the time, um, you know, as he, as he said, <laughs> maybe you should be more worried about your soul being all right. Yeah. You know, because when that time comes, if the asteroids coming down, trust me, it's a lot easier as someone who has faced death, and I have, I've been on that operating table with the bullet in me. I know. As someone who has faced death, when you are facing death, believe me, you are wondering if your soul's all right. When it happened to me, it turned my perspective completely around. 
on what I was doing. And I didn't think my soul was all right at the time. I was in the U.S. military. And I realized that was a problem. But let me assure you that when you are there, that it is much easier to accept the inevitable end if you look back with at least fewer regrets. And if you know that you did everything in your life that you could possibly do in the amount of time that you were given. Let me assure you that money has almost nothing to do with any of that because the things you think about in those moments when it seems like your world is going to end or the world is going to end. The things you think about are how you treated other people. The things you think about are, oh shit, is this person going to be okay? You know, you're just, you're analyzing all you're caring about is people. That's all you give a shit about. You're not thinking about your stereo. You're not caring about your, you know, uh, your hot, you know, desktop PC. You're not caring about your Porsche. You're not caring about anything. You're all you're thinking about is people. You're not thinking about any of the things that money could buy. So I think Prince hit it right on the head. Money didn't matter tonight. It didn't matter yesterday. Spirituality. Making sure you've got your head on straight for no matter what comes your way. You face it without regrets, as little fear as possible, and with the courage that the person who's lived a full life, in, you know, an enriching life, and that perhaps had at least some measure, not that you need to be a sung hero as compared to unsung, not that you need to be a sung hero, but someone that other people had the great pleasure of knowing. And that's why I would argue that spirituality is anti-economics. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack adventure Battlestar Galactica The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do The Climax You know, I probably should have ended the episode with the last segment. But I want to get something in. I want to tell you about where I think I might've been wrong. Okay. I wasn't really wrong, but in the climax where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about, uh, 
I do want to take just a few minutes here. We'll close out the show. I do want to take a few minutes here to say that I, I've, I've kind of come full circle in that. So I've been a major proponent of eBooks for many reasons. Okay. Uh, eBooks are phenomenal for, well, like one is you can carry a seemingly endless amount of them, you know, on an incredibly tiny device and read them wherever you are. And as long as you got a good, good enough battery life, I mean, you're, you're going to go a good while. And even then solar chargers are a thing. Um, and you know, many e-readers are very hardened, uh, devices for sure. And of course, smartphones are what they are and you can read them on. I mean, you can read them on so many different screens and we're all surrounded by screens. Why not have some good books on them? Anyway, eBooks are great for that because you don't have to have a gigantic house that is all library, even though boy, if somebody had a house that was all library, tell me your pants or panties wouldn't be coming off. Woo. Anyway, um, <laughs> just ask them to show him your Kindle, right? Like if they got an e-reader, they're pretty serious. Okay. So, uh, you know, eBooks have a lot of advantages. Also, you can't burn eBooks, you know, they, and they can be infinitely copied. And that is an incredibly important function. Uh, you know, the fact that they can just scale seemingly forever, as long as they're in the right format and there's, you know, you strip them of DRM. Uh, I love eBooks. I'll never stop collecting eBooks to this day. And I mean, I have a pile sitting next to me right now that has to go off, uh, to the scanners. I get them professionally scanned. I have a pile of books that are not available in ebook format. Uh, and many of which are quite rare. Uh, there's hell there's even, um, four volume, uh, Kabbalistic, uh, uh translation. It's, you know, more Lurianic, but, uh, it's, a Kabbalistic translation that was started by Arya Kaplan of the entire Tanakh. He did, he did the entire Torah, but he didn't finish before he died before Arya Kaplan died. Um, he didn't finish the entire Tanakh, even though he's working on it. So other people, you know, came in, but specifically this translation is in English with a Kabbalistic bent. And it's, it's a gorgeous translation regardless, uh, not available in ebook format pretty much anywhere. Uh, so I'm going to make sure that that, you know, ends up being available out there. <laughs> so if you suddenly see it one day, you'll know who did it. Uh, along with other things, like there's an art book for Star Trek First Contact. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's tons of, hell, there's even shit here by by King Gillette. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. King, King Gillette. Uh, what's the book I have here? Let me pull it out. Uh, this is The People's Corporation by King C. Gillette. Do you know who King C. Gillette is? You might hear the name Gillette. Maybe you're thinking Penn Gillette, no relation. Uh, King C. Gillette is actually far more interesting in my opinion. <laughs> no shade of Penn. I'm just saying, uh, King C. Gillette is the guy that started the Gillette razor company, but he was a utopian socialist and even wrote books with Upton Sinclair. Um, I mean, this guy was hardcore, you know, on, uh, I mean, certainly kind of, you could argue kind of a brand of anarchism, but anyway, very interesting character. Utopian socialists, you have to understand when people call like uh, uh, thinkers from like the 19th century, or early 20th century, when they call them utopian socialists, it is not the, it's not the socialism that you're thinking of today. Okay. Because like socialism had no real definition at the time. It was basically anything that just sort of rethought society. Uh, so that's a book that I have, you know, available here as well. Again, partly because some of King Gillette's works, his books 
are available online in an ebook format, be it PDF or whatever. Um, but others are not, this is one that isn't. And I want to make sure that it's out there. Uh, but I have to admit that I feel kind of bad, you know, that these books, like getting these books professionally scanned is ultimately a destructive process, meaning that the book gets destroyed. Um, I don't have, I mean, all the books that I've ever scanned and they are hundreds of books that I have gotten professionally scanned over the years that never existed in ebook format before, or if they did, they were not in a very, uh, accessible, uh, uh, they are, you know, yeah, they weren't very accessible. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I've been doing that for a very long time, hundreds of books. Okay. Uh, I could not possibly have all those books on any kind of shelf, you know, like anytime I would move, it would just take up the entire van or truck or U-Haul or whatever. Okay. So it's just not practical. So I love eBooks, but I do feel bad every time I do it. And I've really kind of come full circle and I've talked about this. I have a very small bookshelf above the very windows seven machine that I am recording this on right now. I have a very small bookshelf. Ellen actually behind me has a very big bookshelf and I love it, but I have a very small bookshelf and on this bookshelf are only the books that I consider like incredibly important. You know, they are, uh, not all 20 of them are here yet, but they are meant to be the 20 books that basically no one should do without. Now, you know, these are in English, um, not big enough. She said, what do you mean by that? Not big enough. My bookshelf isn't big enough. Your bookshelf isn't big enough. It's big, but yeah, I know. I know you have so many more books you want to put there. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, love. Um, so here's the thing, like what I was wrong about is I thought that I could just as well easily get without the ebook. And I'm like, Oh no, the ebook's amazing. Like you can hyperlink everything and all this. And it's really accessible. No, you know what? There there's stuff. There's times where just the speed with which you can get through like a, a physical book. Uh, there's nothing else like it. The ability. In fact, I know that I think some, a lot of other people have come to realize this because now Amazon is starting to get into this game. Other ebook uh, or other e-reader companies are starting to get into this game where you can take notations on books. Um, that is a lost art in books. In fact, one of the great joys I often get because I'm generally buying these books used. If they were new, they probably had an ebook version. Not always true, but generally. Uh, I love it when I get somebody's notes in the books. Like it adds such color to, to, to reading it. I I feel like I got an extra special book and it's also extra special when I get that scan. Now, I mean, I could go through, I have software that can process it to where, uh, you know, it gets rid of all of those like extant notes, but I love getting the extant notes from other people. How fucking crazy are they? Especially with the books I get. Oh man, you're in for a treat when people leave their notes in them. And those are the things that we're missing with our, you know, with, with digital copies is those notes aren't often possible. Again, that is a route that companies like books and and Amazon and others are starting to go into with their, you know, newer e-readers, uh, you know, that, that ability to take those notes, but yeah, that, that's something really missing. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm not going to, you know, I, again, I couldn't afford, you know, couldn't afford both in space, 
time, money, and more, you know, to like to have the, the, the dream library that I could imagine. Uh, you know, like I even think about my ebook collection and I go, yeah, there's no way I'd ever have that all in paperback. But certainly there are, you know, those 20 or so that I think are incredibly worthwhile to have around in paper because they are books. Again, if they're that important to me to have them physically, they are books that I would constantly reference over and over again. They are books that I would just cover in notes. And so while I'm not really wrong about eBooks, they're still important and they still have their place and they're an important backup to keep away from the book burners metaphorically and also literally. Um, the paper book is so important. It's so important. And the most important books should always be available in that way because you are not, it's not just something you're reading for the information in it. It is something you are diving into. You are experiencing with all of your senses. And I don't just mean five, even going beyond that. You know, I, I love the Jewish concept that every book is a garden. And when it's a physical book, oh, do you get to really walk in that garden? And so if I ever convinced you, and, and that, that, that's, that's the admission that I'm making here. If I ever convinced you that, no, you don't need paper books. I would just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm, I was wrong. You know, if I can, if I convinced you that I was wrong about that. Okay. There are some, some books, those ones that you go to all the time, you know, to, to, to get your, your nuggets of truth or to be able to reference quickly or to share with others and say, no, no, it's right here in this book. Read it. There are some books that you need to have in hand that you need to hold that should make up. And it doesn't have to be many. I mean, it can be if you, if you've got the space. Okay. But like, if you don't think of those, just those really, really powerful books and yeah, get paper copies of them and have them and, and dive into them that way. It's, it is a whole other experience. I know other people have talked about that before, how it activates so much more smell, even, you know, all kinds of senses, but I think it even goes beyond that. There's just tremendous power in the paper book. And not only that, it actually never runs out of power, right? Because no batteries required. Anyway, we will leave this Sovereign Tech episode at that. So go ahead and grab those books. In fact, if you want to email me, there is a new email address for Sovereign Tech. You're, I know you're probably going to wonder, wait a minute, what the hell is this email address? Like what, after you hear it? Well, if you're a Sovereign Tech patron, you know the entire story behind this email address because I'm having a lot of fun with it. And that email address is q22 at nwo.red. Pay close attention to that. It'll be in the show notes, but this is an email address that's actually going to change every year, uh, if not multiple times a year, just to make sure that I'm actually hearing from really passionate fans. So if you want to share your list with me of what your top books are that you keep in paper, go ahead and hit me up q22 at just the letter Q and then the number 22 q22 at nwo.red. And yep, that NWO <laughs> too sweet, baby. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you have questions, anything you want to get into listener's choice, I know most people still interact with the show via email. Well, the email addresses you've used in the past are going to disappear. This is the one you want. And it's built on top of it. It's, it's a proton mail account, even though it has a custom URL. So can it be encrypted? Yeah. If you're using proton mail, PGP, you can just email me with that and we are having a, you know, basically using one of the best protocols in history. And 
you know, I love it. I love that we get to have that kind of communication and the emails aren't out in the open. So Q22 at nwo.red if you want to email the show. And we will wrap that up here and I will see all of you woo, on the other side. <laughs>